Finding a job has always been difficult. Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old firm, filed for bankruptcy. All the talk about coronavirus being so much more... This is how it is across the globe as we wait for the next chapter of the coronavirus. Welcome to All Roads from Oberlin, an independent podcast where we talk to Oberlin alumni about life after college, finding work in a recession, and just how to be okay. I'm Julian Wirth, a rising junior, and in this episode, my co-producer, 08 graduate, Patty Stubel, interviews two OBs working in fields hit especially hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. Our first guest, Alex Paik, works in the travel industry in Seoul, South Korea. He talks about his story, his love of travel, and finding a place to call home. I graduated 2008. I was a East Asian Studies and Politics double major. I wasn't a Shanxi fellow, but I took up a job at the Shanxi Agricultural University campus, working with the Shanxi fellows as a lecturer of English there for a year. Really happy I went. I don't know if I'd be able to go now at this age, but uh, at that time it was uh, fifth year basically for me. And then um, after my year in China, capping off my studies there, I was in Los Angeles for a year. I was looking at law school and I was also working for a political interest group for Korean immigrant rights before I had to rush back to Korea um, because of some family issues. And I kind of had to restart when I, when I got here. Although I had lived in Korea before as an international student in middle school and high school, I'd never really lived or worked here as an adult. And I still wasn't very comfortable with the, the work environment here. But that was 2010 and it's been about 10 years I have an agency here now uh, in marketing PR, and I've been doing marketing PR mostly for the tourism and hospitality industry for the last about seven, eight years. It's been pretty fun. So uh, while there, you found the tourism and hospitality industry, was that through a hotel? Uh... Yeah, I had a friend who was working at Seoul Tourism Organization doing their PR marketing work, and they needed some extra mm-hmm. support. So they're working on promoting Seoul, which the city that I spent about half my life in. And so after a couple of years of my contract, mm-hmm. I basically created an agency and uh, we offered services I was doing for the Seoul Tourism Organization to other similar companies and uh, organizations in Korea. How did you make the decision to just do this on your own? How did you kind of see that as a space that you could go into? So I never really considered myself a business person or entrepreneur. My parents always told me to consider it, but I never really was interested. (laughs) But what got me into it was really, well, it was was a problem. It was a struggle. So basically, the Korean company I was working for, the Seoul Tourism Organization, they weren't able to offer uh, full-time hires at the time, nor was I really actually interested in working there full-time for the rest of my life. (laughs) <laughs> we got a, a deal with them where I created a sole proprietorship. I was able to luckily do that given the, the visa status I have here. I basically was a glorified freelancer for about a year. And then I pulled in some of the people that I used to work with at the company and we tackled other clients and we struggled and uh, we were able to grow a bit. And more importantly, I, I got to learn more and more about the tourism and travel industry, which uh, to me is Always a fun thing. I mean, who, who doesn't love to, to travel, right? It sounds like you're really passionate about it. What is it that you really like about working in that space? I like it because 
you're doing a lot of getting people who don't really know each other or who are not familiar with each other's cultures. You're getting them to find common ground and uh, also get what they want, right? Another reason why I personally like the, the travel industry is because of, you know, growing up as kind of a third culture kid in some ways. So I'm originally from, from California. I came to Seoul when I was 10. And uh, I didn't know anything about the country, even though I'm ethnically Korean. I spent eight years here at an international school. But I mean, for anyone who has been to international school or knows international school, uh, has international school friends, it doesn't really mean that you're going to be learning a lot about the local culture. And again, even though I'm ethnically Korean at international school in, in Korea, I didn't really learn too much about Korea until I went to Oberlin and then to classes in Korean studies and um, Korean exchange students at the con. So for me, my concept of home, too, is really sometimes fluid, but also it's uh, it's just not, I guess, what some people consider normal. Every Thanksgiving, I was at a different place, either a friend's place or family's back home. I didn't really have, like, one place that would be, like, my homecoming. The U.S. is home, and when I'm in the U.S., I look to Korea at home, and it's really, like, kind of wherever my mind is at, wherever, like, my family and loved ones are. Not uh, to bring up some bad news, but <laughs> um, obviously coronavirus is is not the greatest of news for your industry. Uh, <laughs> the worst. <laughs> it's like not just for, for traveling different places, but like uh, for hotels, people aren't as cool about staying in a place that hasn't been stayed at by other people. I mean, COVID is not great. <laughs> How are you thinking about this? You know, how are you thinking about your company and what you're kind of expecting in, let's say, the next year or two? Uh, it's not a fun, fun time. It's really hard to get momentum on any projects. You know, I kind of panic. I try to feel like I should spend every single moment that I have bettering myself or finding a better opportunity. Mm-hmm. So what's been happening to me is I burn out like all the time. <laughs> As I was explaining that to my friend, I was like, I think actually this is really like quicksand she's a Korean, she uh, didn't know connotations that we put behind it. I've never been quicksand. I don't think anyone I know has ever been quicksand. But we all know that you can't struggle to get out. Because the more you struggle, the more the stand like falls. I don't know yeah. where we learned this. Like if there's like a primer that they teach you as a kid. But we all, we all hear that, right? I, I wonder if it's the Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the reason why I mentioned quicksand is like to get out of it, right? You have to actually go slowly. That's kind of how I told myself last night, actually. Um, I, I dropped everything and I turned off my computers and everything. I just went to sleep. Tell me a little bit about restarting in Korea in 2010. Was What was the economy like? Yeah, I'd love to just learn more. Finding a job has always been difficult. <laughs> having graduated in 2008, you know, officially beginning 2009, but everyone knew it was coming when we were graduating. When I got here in 2010, I was only a few years out from graduation and having spent one year in China and one year interning at a political interest group, I didn't really have any career path that I've been uh, digging away at because I wasn't really sure what kind of job I can get in the U.S., uh, what kind of career path I should be going on. And I wasn't alone. I mean, there's a ton of us like that. And not only that, we knew that, uh, you know, there's signs of a recession coming along. And for our commencement speech, we had uh, Farid Zakaria. He had a very interesting way of going about our commencement speech. He actually told us flat out that we're, our graduating class was 
entering the job market at one of the worst times ever. He actually spent the vast majority of it telling us to be optimistic, not in an unrealistic way or just like a, a lighthearted way, but we are progressing as a society. I, I do believe that. So I think that speech was really good because over time, it's uh, meant different things to me. I don't, uh, when things didn't really go my way, now they like minor speed bumps. But at the time, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I just thought about that. I'm like, well, I knew this was coming. I was told this. And, uh, you know, also like as long as I power through, like things will look good on the other end. I kind of feel like in the last 10 years, uh, almost come full circle. Now, <laughs> now we're in another crazy uh-huh. period. It could kind of feel, I guess, like to some, like the world's going to end or, you know, nothing's going to be the same ever again. But really, as once we're able to weather the storm, no matter how big it is, I do believe that we're going to come out on the other side uh, looking at a better situation for all of us overall. Who knows where we'll be with the uh, current situation with the protests and the the police killings and, and all of that. It's weird because I'm all the way over here and I can't even imagine what people are going through right now. And I also can't imagine that you can find any normalcy, especially depending on where you are, if you're in a, a big city and there's a lot going on. Like I can't see see anyone being able to find like a day-to-day normal pattern. You know, for by some measures, good, they, sh- they shouldn't. Like there are really important matters that have to be hashed out in society right now. But once we have an, an open to do so, uh, just finding routine and normalcy, I think is going to help a lot. What I didn't mention, I think, was before I had that job at, at Soul Tourism Organization, that first job that kind of got me um, some firm grounding, I'd spent like about half a year uh, pretty much doing nothing. Uh, <laughs> a lot of gaming, um, <laughs> just sitting around and uh, stewing and thinking about what I should be doing. Because I had just gotten massively derailed from working towards a career in, in, in politics and then suddenly having to move halfway across the world for an indefinite period of time. And so I was rightfully, well, not rightfully, but I was understandably frustrated. You might be pretty useless for a little bit and it's okay to be useless. So I think this too right now, like this too will pass. <laughs> and um, <laughs> when it does, you know, as soon as you can, finding some rhythm and you might feel like you need to rush and you have to make up for lost time. But once you do and you're able to find some firm footing, I think that's when you'll find everything just comes together. I guess one one memory that I, I do talk a lot about is my graduation. After that commencement, after that speech, I went back to my off-campus residence in my cap and gown and uh, we had a little trampoline in the back and I just crawled on the trampoline. I just laid down and cried. <laughs> I was crying because uh, <laughs> I was wondering if I was ever going to have as much fun as I had at Overland, especially like going back to Asia. And I was like, all right, no more fun and games, but really nothing could have been further from the truth. The rest of my twenties were amazing. It was so many life-changing experiences And I'm 34 right now, but my 30s so far have been even better. I know when you're going to college, a lot of people are like, oh, enjoy college and stuff. But it just gets better in in a lot of ways. And you're more equipped to handle things. Uh, You you become more and more mature, find out what you like, and uh, do only those things. 
Our second guest for this episode is another 2008 alum, Topher Soltis. Topher lives in New York City, where he manages the public theater. You may be thinking, I think I've heard of the public theater in New York City, and you probably have, because it's where Hamilton went up. Good job, Topher. Stay tuned for his thoughts on grad school and on the future of live theater. I graduated in 08 from Oberlin. I was a religion and biology double major. At the time, my goal was, hey, I want to be a professor of religious studies and I'll do that. But I probably should have seen the writing on the wall. I spent most of my actual time uh, doing student theater in college. But I graduated and the idea was, hey, I need to get a master's and a PhD and then I'll be a professor. Took a year off and applied for schools and then went to the University of Chicago Divinity School. About a year into it, decided, oh my God, I hate this place. I still love studying and talking about religion, but I just like really hated the institution. I was being taught how to be a researcher, but not a teacher. I think you should have professors who are researchers and they probably shouldn't enter a classroom. And then you should have teachers who actually teach students and they can do research too on the side. But like, if you're teaching students, your goal should be teaching students. And at the University of Chicago, it was very much, your goal is to read books and write things, most of which nobody cares about. And, oh yeah, I guess you have to teach a class every once in a while. Half to a little more than half of the way through, I was pretty convinced that I wasn't going to continue in religious studies. One of the nice things about the University of Chicago is they do not care what classes you take. So towards my degree, I also took like Chicago theater. We toured around, looked at different Chicago theater organizations and talked about the organization, which is fascinating. I started to see more of a future for myself in theater management and nonprofit theater and did a little research and found out that Chicago is one of the best places in probably the world, but in, certainly in the country for nonprofit theater. There's a ton, a ton of theater in Chicago. So I started getting my MBA at Northwestern. I did my MBA part-time while working at Career Builder, which I, I think part-time grad school is a great idea, especially if you're doing something like an MBA. So I finished up my degree and it took five years. It doesn't typically take that long, but I wanted to maximize the amount of money that my employer would pay. So I, I strung it out a little bit longer. So flash forward, I get my MBA. I now feel like I can be an asset to an organization. And I started applying for jobs around the country. Got a job just a year ago working for the public theater in New York. The public theater has been hit hard by COVID, but we have a lot of cash from Hamilton. We are not in the dire place that some other organizations are. Yeah. And I guess the other thing that I want to bring up in terms of my career trajectory is that through all of this, I've been involved in a couple of nonprofits, some theater related, some not, including I was actually on staff of a circus school in Chicago 
And I got involved in that because I got involved in O Circus at Oberlin, continued taking some circus classes, have never been very good, but enjoy it. Um, (laughs) I tell people I do circus and they're like, oh my God, you must be amazing. No, I'm not. I'm terrible. But I have fun, so. But it's fun. <laughs> yeah, and it's a great, it's a great, great workout. So, yeah, so I got engaged with this circus school pretty soon, actually a little bit before I moved to New York. I started on the finance committee of a small nonprofit in New Hampshire that I've been connected to in a variety of ways for most of my life um, called Star Island. They have their shit together in a way that most nonprofits don't. I find that I have learned a lot about how a, a, a board functions really well and how a community comes together in a crisis like this. Is there something that you wish you had done differently over that time period? So the snarky answer to this is uh, don't go to University of Chicago. <laughs> I did not have a great experience. I guess what I didn't do well, I I did somewhat try to find like, who do I want to study with? Who do I want Mm. my mentor to be? But I kind of didn't find anything exactly right. And so I just said like, okay, I'll just get my master's and it'll be okay. Learn about the institution more and what they do well and who is doing the work that you want to follow in their footsteps. That is so important. And I think what I should have done is I should have said, I haven't found that person. And so I'm going to delay more. Right out of undergrad, you've got probably a good five years to figure out exactly what you want to do. If you know what you want to do and you have it figured out, like if you have always wanted to be a doctor You can go straight to medical school and you'll be better off than just like taking some years off. But if there's any doubt in that, like take some time, get some work experience. If you can get supervisory experience, that is the one thing that I have been asked if I have so many times, Mm -hmm. getting that manager title, that's my next step. And it's, it's real tricky. So for people who are looking to do kind of more of the arts, admin, theater, management, all of that kind of stuff. Um, What would you tell them right now, especially people coming right out of school? um, And especially given we just have, there are so many unknowns in terms of, you know, actual physical performances and spaces right now. The feeling around the public right now, and I think this is broadly in the performing arts space, is that large gatherings were the first thing to be canceled and they are probably going to be the last thing to start back up again. The public is still doing stuff. We're doing online content. We are commissioning new work. We're doing a lot less of a lot of that stuff, but we're still doing some of it. I would challenge a new graduate to think about what they actually want to do and Who else does that? If you want to produce theater, you could think about, okay, maybe ultimately I want to, to, you know, be a line producer or, or something like that. Can I apply to be a producer on podcast or some sort of digital space in this moment? You should think about like, 
what are the adjacent industries that will still fit your career trajectory and might have a little more capacity right now. So that's it for interviews in this episode, but Patty, Maddie, and I, that is the producers of this podcast, had a bit to say about these, so we've included a little discussion about them to end the episode. If that's not your speed, check out our next and final episode, where we take questions from the graduates of this year and pose them to graduates from previous years. But for now, here's Patty. You know, I have to say, I really love talking with both of these OBs, you know, definitely very different paths and kind of context, but... I thought Topher had some really cool insights into things like adjacent industries and figuring out how in life you're going to bring your passions may be different than how you think that that will be when you're 22 and trying to get a job in theater, especially now with so many performance-related jobs really at risk. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Patty, because one of the skills that Topher talks about developing is the importance of supervisory experience. You've had a pretty supervisory role on this podcast in particular, and also in project management positions in general. And if you have any insight in how to break into that or how to attain yeah. experience. No, I mean, it's, it's definitely hard. So I actually loved his advice to get that supervisory experience early because I, I will say I, even despite mentors and sponsors, would continuously come up against the, well, you haven't really managed anyone before kind of thing. I also, the thing I wanted to highlight about Alex's interview was I just loved when he talked about finding home. You know, I thought what was sort of unique about that interview was he was able to provide something which I think a lot of OBs either have or develop, which is a fairly international perspective on their sort of sense of self and sense of belonging. And it is, you know, right now a really hard time to imagine developing that kind of international awareness. Yeah, I really thought that he, you know, was really thoughtful about how he had thought about a lot of things, right? Like I loved when he talked about the quicksand and that that feeling of, I have to keep going, I have to keep going. And, you know, knowing the more that you struggle, the worse it's getting. <laughs> yeah, he does a good job, I think, of illustrating that pattern happening, like, in his career and in, like, his actual business's ability to continue, like, at the same time as, like, the thing that we're all experiencing on a very personal level. So it's, like, extremely real that the idea that this is supposed to be our time to, like, take use of all this time that we have and to improve ourselves. And the fact that we can't do that and are getting so frustrated that we can't do that is really fair. Like, no one can do that right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day why we wanted to talk with them was because they are really in these challenging industries right now. And it kind of feels like we've gone through this already. <laughs> um, not in the same way, obviously, but, you know, I, I think that there's a sense of, you know, coronavirus and the ensuing, you know, economic collapse or whatever happens, right. Yeah. That that is all, something we can survive because we've survived it before, right? And mm. we we know those muscles. And while we don't necessarily like to use those muscles, we can. That's something that I really hope you feel that <laughs> that in as much as it sucks, um, you will be served by this later in your life. Yeah. One thing that does make this harder than other times of 
economic recession is like kind of along Alex's idea of home is especially if you have this feeling that home is multiple places and home is like home is maybe two like literal homes, like our family in different places or friends in different places. The thing that COVID's doing is then like taking away access to the vast majority of those, you know, where mm. like you are stuck in one that might feel like the real one or might not. And I think that, I think that is a unique challenge of this time. This has been All Roads from Oberlin, an independent project produced by Patty Stubel, Maddie Hankey, and Julian Wirth. Big thanks to Alex Paik and to Topher Soltis for coming on this episode. Our cover art is from Steven Metzer, and our theme music comes courtesy of Piper Hill and Claudia Hinsdale. Additional music for this episode is by Jason Shaw. Don't be afraid to check us out on Twitter, at Oberlin Roads. We might even follow you back. Thanks for listening, and have a good one. <laughs>